I was thinking of community this week, partially because I was, I was reading uh, Kobe Bryant's book, Mama Mentality. And, and, and it struck me in the book how much he talks about the people that helped him, whether it be his teammates, his trainers, and e even the longtime Lakers photographer that inspired him to write this book. And that Kobe is, is interesting because he's one of those athletes in, in rarefied air that you know him just by one name, LeBron, Jordan, Messi, Pele, in New England, Brady, Kobe. And yet he makes it clear that he didn't get to where he was with winning NBA championships on his own. With becoming the, one of the greatest players in basketball. He didn't, he didn't do it on his own. And he gives credit to all of the people that were around him and helped him too. And I was thinking that way in relationship to the church as well. And we see in this passage today that, that we have an issue that the church is facing. But it's not only the 12 disciples, those who were with Jesus, the apostles. It's not only them who resolve the issues, but it is the entire church community gathering and coming together as one to establish and build and empower the church. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be looking at the story and how the church comes together and the identity of the church and how God unleashes the church to do his will. So we're going to look at the issue, first of all, in chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. You know, if you remember in Acts 2, Acts 2 talks about the formation and the identity of the church right after Pentecost. And it says that they committed themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to meeting and praying in the temple together. But one of the core elements of the church was also caring for the poor. They sold their possessions and gave to whoever was needy. Yet we have here what was one of the core identity, core fundamentals of the early churches being broken because the Hellenistic widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And we know that widows, because their husbands have died, are, are in the need of others to provide for them. Right? So you might ask yourself, what is, what is a Hellenistic Jew? Right? Who are the Hellenists? And the Hellenists are, are Jews who spoke Greek. And that would be opposed to uh, the majority of the people in the church because we're centered in Jerusalem. That's where the story takes place. The Jews who were in Jerusalem would have spoke Aramaic. And the difference between the Jews isn't just a language difference, but it's also a cultural one too. The, the, the whole language, the universal language of the entire Roman Empire was Greek. And part of the reason why the Roman Empire became as great and as big and as uniform as it did is because they spread not just the Greek language, but the Greek culture to all across the Roman Empire. Now, the Jews in Jerusalem, they spoke Aramaic because they wanted to preserve their Jewishness. And Jews who might have spoken Greek, they would have considered them those who have maybe compromised a little bit or maybe lost a little bit of that full Jewishness. And so built into that relationship already is a little bit of tension. It's a little bit of friction there. 
And now what you have is there normally wouldn't be interaction between as much interaction between these two groups, the Aramaic speaking Jews in Jerusalem, the Hellenistic speak the uh, the Greek speaking Jews throughout the rest of the Roman Empire. But because now they're one in the church, we see this tension arise. Now the text, it doesn't necessarily tell us if the Hellenistic widows were being neglected in the daily distribution because they were Hellenistic or because, you know, there was some, you know, cultural elitism or maybe it, it was an accident. It doesn't give us the reasoning and motivation. But we see hidden beneath this is tensions already. And this is the issue that, that, that seems like it, it, it's, it's working against the essential fabric of the church, looking to break apart the church. And, and what I think is, is, is so interesting here is how, not just the issue, but how the issue is resolved and who resolves the issue. Now we're going to read that in, in verses 2 and 4, 2 through 4. It says, And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint for this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, what's interesting is you have the twelve apostles, those who are with Jesus, as leaders of the church, they bring everyone together and what they say is, hey, this is a church issue, but we recognize as leaders what our role and what our responsibility for the church is. The apostles, they say, our job is to pray and to continue to preach the word. But they recognize that there are people in the church who might have the capacity and the gifting to be able to meet this need. And what that tells us is that the church, the fundamental identity of the church is not solely based around the leaders of the church. They're not the only ones who solve all the problems, but it is the church together that comes, that comes and forms and serves one another and forms the identity of the church. A church is not just its leaders, but it is everyone in the church using their giftings to serve. Now let's consider CB, for example, right? Pastor Jeff, Minister Jeff, and me, we don't do all the work in the church, and it's not because we don't have enough time, which is true, but rather I'd say it's more about our gifting, or maybe you could say our lack of gifting and maybe what your gifts are. Con consider a lot of the graphic designs and the beautiful imagery that we get for our sermon series and our different events. I'll put a few of them on the screen. Like, none of us as Crossbridge pastoral staff have the aesthetic sense nor the skill to be able to do that. And that's true for in a lot of different areas, right? In, in the way that a lot of people serve. Think of the organization of meal trains you know, for, um, for parents who've just had newborn kids or, the, or, or Frisbee, that Frisbee that happens when the weather is nice and how that collects together the community, right? Or think about even um, on Holy Saturday that Cornelia and Melissa are, are putting together an event for Crossbridge families. 
It's not just that, that, that we don't, might not have the time, but it's that there are people who have the gift and the skill and the passion and desire to do these things. And that's what forms a church. A church is not solely about its leaders and the leaders who do all the work, but it is all of the church coming together to meet the needs and using your individual gifts to serve one another. I, I was thinking about how this looks in, in different contexts, not just the church, but in different contexts. And, and one, of the, one of my favorite things is Formula One racing at this moment, right? There's a, net, there's a great Netflix show called Drive to Survive. I highly recommend it. If you want to talk to me about F1, I would love to. But one of the beautiful things that I love about Formula One is that it's not solely about driver skill, but that engineering has just as much a part to play as driver skill. A driver can't, dri can't be fast, even though he might be skilled if his car is slow. But even within the engineering department for the cars, there's all these different parts working together, whether it be the engine department and someone just focuses on the, the valve flaps for the engine. Right? But then there's also the aerodynamic department, right? You can have a strong engine, a powerful engine, but if your car is dragging, it's slow, you're not going to go quickly. Those two, those two need to work together. But then also the aero, how the car flows, how the air flows over the car it, uh, impacts, how, you know, the, the suspension of the car. And, and you, those two teams need to work together. And then you need to have driver imp. There's a whole organization of people that work to make a car run and to be fast. It's not just about the driver solely. It's a whole team that works together. That's how they win races. Okay, uh, maybe, not, maybe not many of you are F1 fans or racing fans. But let, let me, so let me move into a different area where there's a lot of coordination. Uh, how about um, on the runway, on a fashion show? Uh, when I was in high school, me and my mom, for some reason, we would just watch a lot of Project Runway. And that's an interesting show because it's a whole world that I, I, know, I knew nothing about. I still don't know that much about. But you can see that there's a whole coordinated effort to put together a fashion show. Right? You have the designer of the dress and using different materials and themes, right? But then you also have the model themselves who wear the dress, who need to portray a certain attitude as they wear the dress and as they walk down the runway. But it's not just the dress and the model, you have hair and makeup too that needs to align with the dress and the vision of the designer, the heels. Now, that's only the dress and the look. But what about the person who puts the stage together and the person who does lighting and music? There needs to be a coordinated effort between all of these people to make, to just have the model coming down the runway have a certain look and appeal. But what about the photographers who capture the models at certain angles? And then also, what about the event organizer who is inviting all of the people to come to be able to witness this, right? It, it's a coordinated, Paris Fashion Week, a fashion show is a coordinated effort between lots of different people for one, one goal. Uh, and, and none of those are perfect illustrations of the, for the church, but the church is similar too. It's not only about the pastors, it's not only about the leaders, but the church thrives and the church grows because all of us are using our unique skills and gift sets. The apostles said what our job is, 
what our role is, what our gifting is, what God has called us to do, is not to serve, serve tables, but it is to preach the word and to pray for the church. But that doesn't mean that serving tables, that serve the doing the mundane tasks of the church are lesser than that. Actually, what we see here, when, when, when we look at the qualifications of the leaders, is that the Holy Spirit was with them as well. All right? We look in verses 3, and then we look in 5 and 6. In verse 3 it says, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint for this duty. Verse 5, and what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, or Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. Verse 6. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. All right. So you see one of the things that's repeated in verse 3 and verse 5 is that they were full of the Spirit. These men, their job, what the, how the disciples described their job is to serve tables. They were full of the Spirit to do that. Now, I, I think that's interesting because when, we, when we've been talking through our, and, and preaching through our series in Acts, we've been considering what does it mean to be full of the Spirit. And previous instances that we've talked about and that we've looked at is they were full of the Spirit to proclaim boldly at Pentecost, to speak all different kinds of tongues. And the Spirit came upon them and they were able to heal a man who's never walked before. And the Spirit came upon them and they're able to proclaim boldly. And the Spirit came and freed them from prison and they, they continued to walk, right? It's, there's a lot of boldness. There's a lot of action. There's a lot of, you know, these dramatic these dramatic moments in Acts that the Spirit empowers the apostles to do. But this is the same Spirit that empowered the apostles to speak boldly when people said not and they got beaten for it and they still rejoiced. That same Spirit empowers these seven to come serve and do what we might think is a mundane task. It empowers them to serve the people of the church. And what that means practically for us is that as we use our gifts, as we use our abilities, as we use our strengths, the things that God has given us to serve the church, we will be empowered by the Spirit to do that. What that means is that as I, yeah, for me, and maybe for Minister Jeff and Pastor Jeff as we preach, yeah, we're asking for the Spirit to move and use us too. But that also means too that the live stream team, all the people on the Google chat right now, making sure the live stream's okay, the Spirit is empowering them to do that work. It's not just the worship leaders, but it's also the person who puts, who, who maybe does a little bit of the mixing. It's a PowerPoint person as well. It's all of these tasks around the church. That means uh, Weixing, our, our church office manager, she's empowered. Our accountant, he's, he's empowered as he serves the church by the Spirit and it helps the church grow. That it's not just leaders who define the church. It's not just leaders who are empowered by the Spirit to grow the church. It is all of us as we use our gifts and abilities. It's us as parents 
as we care for the physical and spiritual well-being of our kids are empowered by the Spirit. It's used as a small group leaders and home group leaders. And, and even those of you who might not be you know, in a leadership position, but you might just have a heart that just cares for people and checks up on others, you're empowered by the Spirit to help the church grow. What's really interesting, if we, if we zoom out from this text a little bit, as we look at the structure of this passage, we see that it, it forms a chiasm. And, and a chiasm, it, go, go, it goes as this. It, it's, it's a structure where you have an A, you have A's on the outside, so you have A, B, C, then you have B, A. It, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a literary structure that the main point of the chiasm, that A, B, C, A, B, C, that middle point is a point of emphasis and a focus. And what we see here in this chiastic structure of the text is surrounding, surrounding this passage of six, of chapter 6, 1 to 7, is persecution on both sides. We have persecution surrounding on both sides. But then we look at this passage too, and in verse 1, it says, Now in these days the disciples were increasing in number. And then also at the end of the passage too, in verse 7, it says, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Right? And so we have persecution, and also what's surrounding in this passage is the church is growing. But then in the center of this passage, what we have is the people of God it's not, not necessarily the apostles, but it's the people of God coming into a role where they are empowered by the Holy Spirit to serve one another in these seven. They're not doing a super miraculous work. They're not, they're not just, pro, I mean, they, they are, right? But they're not just proclaiming boldly, but they're, they're, they're going around and making sure the daily distribution of food to those who need goes well. And that's the center of the chiasm that says, this is what it looks like that the church is empowered by the Spirit. Not just the work of the apostles, though that is good, but it is members, ordinary people in the church, serving in basic ways that are empowered by the Spirit. That's how the church grows in the midst of persecution. Empowered by the Spirit. Now we, we we might learn you know a, a few a few a few smaller lessons too also from the the seven people that they chose, and and one of the things that we we might miss because of our context and because of the original language is that the seven people here all have Greek names. That means that all of these people here, according to some commentaries is that all these people here would have been Hellenistic Jews, except um, the last one, Nicholas, it says a proselyte from Antioch, right? And so we saw, we saw that the, what the people chose was diversity, and they, they saw that it, you don't have to have the exact same people. You don't have to have Jewish, the, Jew, the most Jewish of Jews, right? You didn't have to have Jews from Jerusalem, but they saw that the Spirit of the Lord chose different kinds of people. They chose Hellen Hellenistic Jews. And when it says Nicholas of a proselyte from Antioch, that's actually in reference to a Gentile. 
right? There were different people, a variety of people who came and were empowered by the Spirit. And what that shows is it's not, the church isn't a homogenous group of only the same people, but different kinds of people are able to serve the church in different kinds of ways. And so that's my encouragement to you today, a really simple message today, that the church is not solely comprised of and defined by its leaders. The church is all of us. And it's not only leaders who are empowered by the Spirit to help the church grow. It's all of us as we use our giftings in lots of different ways, whether it be the daily distribution, a meal train for, for parents who just had children, planning small events for other families, caring for others, serving food when there's, whenever there's church lunch again, running the AV, in all of these ways, you're also empowered by the Spirit, and that's how the church grows. Not just the miraculous works of boldness, though the Spirit does give us boldness to proclaim His Word when we feel afraid. But it's not just that. It's the smaller things that we do in church that the Spirit gives us, that we are empowered to do, and that's how the church is unleashed and grows. That's why there's a place for you here because God made you uniquely who you are. And there's a place for you here at the church. So let me finish with just a, a quick story. Um, I, I really like listening to people talk. Uh, preachers or just having conversations with people. And, and I, 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 used, I used to just listen to a sermon a night because um, I had a lot of free time and then also too, especially when my daughter was born. Um, there were some nights where, you know, I had to stay up late or have to wake up and, you know, feed her. And so I would, I would always listen to sermons and I would always marvel and try to, you know, pick apart, you know, how, how do, what makes a good preacher? How does, you know, how does someone communicate well? What illustrations do they use? How does their voice inflect? How do their hands move? All that kind of stuff, you know. And so whenever I have the chance, I'll always go to someone that I admire, whether it be seminary professor or just a random preacher, and say, hey, what makes you a good speaker? What makes you a good preacher? And I've asked a lot of people this question, but there, there, there's one that, that really sticks out to me. And so I was part of an organization called Youth with a Mission, or YWAM, and I was part of the Bible school. And I was talking to the founder of the Bible school. His name is Ron Smith. And I said, Ron, you're a really like charismatic and funny um, speaker, but then you also just have such a way with words that's quick and efficient and really gets to the point and hits the heart. I said, how, do you, how did you become a good speaker? And, and, and so he said, you know, that there's, there's a few things that I do, you know, that I've studied about, you know, how the human mind works and communication theory. But he said, I give most of, my, most of the credit to actually one of my supporters. She lives in Hong Kong. And she doesn't support me financially, but what she says is, every time you speak, I'll be praying for you for that whole time. It doesn't matter if you're, if you're on, in America, it doesn't matter if you're in Asia, it doesn't matter what time it is, I will be praying for you for the duration of when you speak or when you teach. And he said, I believe, Ron said, I believe that part of the reason why, sure, I might be able to speak well, but the reason it hits hearts is because I have this friend praying for me as I teach and as I preach. He said, it's not me, 
it's God. And it is this person who's praying for me and praying for my listeners and all these things. And, and I, I think that that was a, a beautiful story because, it, because it, you recognize the role of not just Ron there as a leader. He's in, uh, an international YWAM leader. He travels the world preaching. He travels the world teaching people. He impacted me. But he said, no, the, the reason why I did that is, is, is that one of my supporters, one of my friends prays for me. And so, church, I, I would encourage you, if you have the gift of preaching and communication and leadership, go and do that. But if you have the gift of comforting or prayer or, you know, organizing activities, go do that. Use your individual giftings to support the church, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, to support and grow and love and serve one another. Because the church is not just about its leaders. The church is formed by all of us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you've created all of us uniquely with different skill sets and strengths and weaknesses. Lord, you've made us unique. Lord, and would you help us to find a place where we might be able to serve you and serve others and watch your kingdom grow as we are empowered by your spirit. Help us today, Jesus, even in the midst of COVID, to see how you'd want to use us. We need you and we thank you. I pray this in your name. Amen.